Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. Don't fight to keep your power. Don't fight to keep it. Because if it ain't your time to give it up, you know what? God is not going to let it end. God will defend you. He is our defender. He is our strength. He is our strong tower. He is our rock. He is our fortress. He is our deliverer. Are all those things true? If they're true, do I need to sit there and fight these people at work? Or can I let God deal with it? People just love being in control, but when their power is slipping, it seems like they do almost anything to keep it. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares is continuing our biblical study on power plays and what not to do from the examples set by King David, Ishbosheth, and Abner. This is the final part of our three-day study, and we'll start with some helpful recap. To hear this message from the beginning, go to focalpointradio.org. Well, here's Pastor Mike. Look back up to verse number six again, and let's look at this in light of Abner's character. Ishbosheth's paranoid. Abner, what's he doing? Well, something we've seen about Abner from the very beginning. When we first met Abner, we knew this was a sneaky kind of guy. We knew this guy was out to get all the power he could get. And sure enough, in verse number six, what does it say? He was out strengthening his own position in the house of Saul. Duh, that's what he does. That's the kind of guy he is. He's constantly trying to get an edge. And you know what happens. He gets accused of having sex with Rizpah, the concubine of Saul. And what's his response? Verse number eight, he's livid. He's absolutely just frustrated and angry. Abner was angry because of what Ishbosheth said. And he said, am I a dog's head on Judah's side? It's a strange comment, but it's not a good one, right? What do you think I am? Notice what he says. This very day I am, circle this word, loyal to the house of your father Saul and to his family and friends. I haven't handed you over to David, yet now you accuse me of an offense involving this woman. I can't believe this. I love that, and I made you circle the word loyal because it's like marching into your boss's office and saying, I'm the most loyal employer you got. I'm the guy that sticks here to the end. I, I come early and I stay late and blah, blah, blah. And then the next sentence, look at the next verse. May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I don't do for David what the Lord promised him on oath and transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul. That's you. And establish David's throne over all of Israel, Judah, from Dan to Beersheba, the whole entire region. What's he saying? I'm the most loyal guy in the world. I can't believe you're accusing me of this, and I'm out of here now. Forget it. Uh, so I'm going to David's side, and I'm going to make a deal with David. And in verses 12 through 15 and 16, we saw that he's made this deal with David. And now he comes and starts saying, you, you really should consider David as your king. It's a slimy guy, isn't it? Drop down to verse number 19. Abner also spoke to the Benjamites in person. He says, hey, these guys need a personal call. I'm really going to work the Benjamites, because the Benjamites was the tribe from which Saul came. And they need a face-to-face. -face. No facts, no emails, nothing on this, but face-to-face. -face. I'm going to sit down and talk with them. And he starts to work them slimy. What's the point? Here was Abner doing whatever it takes to gain a position of power. I call it compromise. He's an opportunist. Number three on your outline. Don't be like Abner. Don't ever compromise to gain more power. And I already told you that power is intoxicating and it gets us to do things we wouldn't normally do. And when you are in a position of power, maybe you've been promoted at work, and now you think, if I just got in with the partners, then I could really get promoted. You will start to do things that you know your Christian principles and the Word of God say you shouldn't do, but sometimes we'll compromise because we've got a taste of power. 
Be careful. Some of you are in positions of power and authority right now, and if you were to take an honest look at your life, you may see things there that you 10 years ago wouldn't believe that you would have done. But because this thing has drawn you forward, you've compromised. Number three, don't be like Abner. Do not compromise to gain more power. Don't use relationships to get it. Don't be paranoid if you've got it. And don't compromise to get more of it. It's not worth it. One more character, number four. Fourth guy that we see in this passage, beginning in verse number 22, is a guy named Joab. Joab, you remember, is the commander of David's armies. He's the top-ranking military official. He was out doing David's bidding, doing some warfare, leading the troops. Abner had just left. Verse 23 spells it out. Abner and all the soldiers had arrived. And he was told that Abner, the son of Ner, had come to the king and that the king had sent him away and that he had gone in peace. That's a huge statement. He'd gone away making a deal, a covenant, a compact, agreeing to work the elders and the Benjamites in David's favor. David's working his side of the deal. I need Michael back because if I get Michael back on my side, the northern tribes will think that I'm ingratiating myself to them. That would be good for my political career. And everybody's involved in power moves. And Joab hears that Abner was there. Do you remember about the relationship between Joab and Abner? Joab was chasing Abner because Abner had just killed his little brother Asahel. And he had him backed up against the hillside. And about that time that he could have done him in and could have killed him, Abner pulls one out of the hat and says, let's have a little speech here about Israelites killing Israelites. And Abner, because Joab recognized and it rung true in his heart, he realized that he should not be doing what he was about to do, escalating this warfare because of personal revenge, recognizing that Asahel had been killed by the butt of Joab's sword, not by the pointy end. He was not killed as some terrorist act from Abner's part. It was self-defense, and that was clear. And it all rung true to him. So what did Abner do? He says, don't kill me. We shouldn't be fighting like this. What does Joab respond with? Okay, you're right. He blows the trumpets. He tells the troops, we can't fight them anymore. And he lets Abner go. Now, what has changed? We're going to see him here. He's livid right now that David would make a deal with Abner. He says in verse 24, what have you done, David? What in the world are you thinking? Abner came to you. Why did you let him go? Now he's gone. You know Abner, son of Ner. He, he's going to deceive you. He's here to observe your movements. He's going to find out everything you're doing. He is here on a covert operation. I can't believe you did that. We see no response from David. But Joab leaves David's presence, and he sends messengers to go grab Abner, who's heading back to the north, to work his deal with the elders. And he brings him back. David didn't know anything about this. Verse 27, Abner returns to Hebron. Joab says, hey, 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 Abner, Abner, I hear you're making deals with David. That's great. There's just one last little issue that we need to speak about here. Can we get away privately here? Tell your soldiers just to go away because we need to talk. Joab takes him aside in the gateway as though to speak with him privately. And there quote, unquote, here's how the paper reads, at least, to avenge the blood of his brother Asahel, Joab stabbed him in the stomach and he died. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek, that's how the paper's read, because I'm thinking to myself, is that really why he killed him? I mean, let's think about this. He had a chance to kill him. He had the power to kill him. He had the opportunity to kill him. He had the motivation to kill him. The, the kill was fresh in his mind, and he could have killed him, but he didn't kill him. He didn't kill him on the battlefield. He didn't send troops out to covertly kill him. He didn't assassinate him. He didn't have him assassinated. He had resolved himself to the fact that it wasn't right to kill Abner because of Asahel's death. He'd already decided that. Now, what's the difference? What's the difference? What's the difference for Joab? 
The difference for Joab is that Abner's here now trying to work a deal with my boss. And this town ain't big enough for both of us. You're the commander of an army, and I'm the commander of an army, and you're here trying to strike deals. Forget it. You know what? I'm going to kill you. And I'm going to say it's in the name of killing my little brother, but you know what? He's already proved to us he had the chance and opportunity that he, he's decided not to do that. He's doing it because this guy's infringing on his position of leadership, stepping into his circle of influence, starting to mess with the power structures that Joab's used to controlling. You can't get in here and threaten my leadership. And so he takes him aside secretly under the guise of wanting to speak with him privately, jabs a dagger into his stomach, and there is Abner laying dead in this gateway. What was his power move? His power move was, you threaten my authority, I fight. Now, I trust the temptation in your life isn't to kill anybody this week to save your authority, but I tell you what, we assassinate character, don't we? We put up our dukes and we fight verbally. We gossip, we criticize, we fight back, and we defend, because that's our natural human response when you start infringing on my leadership. Whether it's in a domestic situation, maybe you're a parent trying to parent your children. You've got in-laws trying to tell you how to do it. What's your response? Mm. You don't do that. Maybe you're at work and you're a manager at work and you've just had some merger with another company and this, here's this other guy that's your counterpart trying to tell you how to do your job. What's your response? Mm. You don't do that. That's our natural response. I've got authority. It's well mapped out. You don't infringe on that. And when you do, I fight. I fight to keep it. Keep your finger here. Turn over one more passage. Numbers chapter 12. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers chapter 12. Beginning in your Bible. Let me refresh your memory about one of the greatest leaders in the Bible. I say greatest because he was certainly one of the most powerful. His name was Moses. Think about how powerful Moses was. Think about his leadership. I mean, he was throwing staves in bodies of water and they were parting and people were walking through on dry land. I mean, he was calling things out of heaven to happen. He was throwing his staff down, turning it into a snake. He was telling Yule Brynner off, and no one was going to do a thing about it. You know what I'm saying? He is in charge. He is a big man on campus, and no one should be messing with Moses' leadership. No one. But they did. Numbers chapter 12, verse number 1. Miriam and Aaron. <laughs> Who are they? Sunday school grads. Who are they? Brothers and sisters, right? You know how that works. Brothers and sisters here began to speak against Moses because of his Cushite wife. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Right? We don't like your wife. She looks funny. She cooks funny. We don't, I don't know what it was. They didn't like his wife. She's a Cushite. We're not happy about this. And here's what they say. Hey, who, are, who is this guy anyway? Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? I mean, come on. Hasn't he also spoken through us? I mean, aren't we prophets in our own right? Aren't we leaders? Shouldn't the people recognize us? Look at this guy. Look at the bad decisions he makes. He's married this gal. She's a nut. I can't even believe. You know, I don't think he should be the sole leader in this thing. So Aaron and Miriam start to recognize that they can establish their own leadership. Now, can you imagine if you're Moses? I mean, you know, you're communing with God. You got this inside hotline to God. And all of a sudden, you got these two siblings who remember you when you were just a kid. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you feel threatened. They're threatening my leadership. They're threatening my position. They're threatening my authority. They're speaking against me. They're criticizing me. They don't like the way I do my job. They don't like the decisions that I make. What's your response? What's my response? Our natural response is do this. We defend ourselves. 
Moses' response is going to be a lot different because of verse number three. Here's a statement about the kind of man that Moses was. Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. How did he learn that? He learned that early in his career when after 40 years he tried to establish leadership his way in his time and he learned that leadership and authority and influence come from God, not himself. And I said that. You're neither prideful nor paranoid when you realize that authority is granted by God temporarily at his bidding and by his will. That keeps you from pride or paranoia and it also makes you a humble person. That's the opposite of pride and paranoia. You're relaxed. You're humble. He gets threatened and he doesn't do anything. He's a humble guy. Verse 4. That once the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting. Can you imagine that? All of a sudden you hear this voice booming from heaven saying, uh, boys, I want to talk to you. Remember when dad did that? Kids, you get in here right now. And so all the kids come in and report to dad. And then it gets worse. Look at it. Three of them came out. The Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance of the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. And both of them stepped forward. <laughs> you remember those days? Kids line up. Okay, you and you. You step forward. <laughs> they're about to get a lecture. And they're about to get a spanking. And there they are. Mm, yes, Lord. What, uh, is there a problem? God says, verse 6, listen to my words. When there's a prophet of the Lord among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams, all these mysterious things. But that's not the way I'm dealing with Moses. He is faithful in all my house. This is a different kind of guy. When I speak to him, I speak with him face to face, clearly not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord, whatever that means. He's close and tight and intimate with God. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses and the anger of the Lord burned against them. And when he left, the cloud lifted up above the tent and there stood Miriam leprous like snow and Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had leprosy. What did Moses do when his leadership was threatened? Did he get rolled over by his brother and sister who were frustrated with his leadership? No. How did he maintain his position of leadership and authority? His time wasn't up yet to be a leader. He was still going to be a leader. How did he defend himself? Here, here's the answer. He didn't have to. And if men and women who call themselves Christians fight when they're threatened, you don't have a godly person on your hands. It is a temptation. Every time you and I are criticized, every time you and I are threatened, every time we get infringed upon, either at work or in a Christian setting, the temptation is to fight. The godly man does what? He trusts in God. I put it this way. The negative prohibition, number four on your outline, don't fight to keep your power. Don't fight to keep it. Because if it ain't your time to give it up, you know what? God is not going to let it end. God will defend you. He is our defender. He is our strength. He is our strong tower. He is our rock. He is our fortress. He is our deliverer. Are all those things true? If they're true, do I need to sit there and fight these people at work? Or can I let God deal with it? Oh, that's too spiritual. That's too passive. It doesn't work that way in the real world, Pastor Mike. You bet it does. You watch when people entrust themselves to a powerful defender, the God of the universe, who says, I'm not going to fight when my leadership is threatened. I'm going to trust God and let God establish it or let God take it away. When you do that, trust me, if you look back up in Numbers 12, I love this phrase, end of verse 2, when Moses was being criticized by Aaron and Miriam, what does the text say? Last five words, and the Lord heard this. God will listen. God will defend. God will take note. You don't have to do it. Back real quickly, 2 Samuel chapter 3. We've learned so far David trying to build power through relationships. Don't do it. 
We saw Ishbosheth paranoid, no need to have that attitude. We know where our power comes from. We see Abner, what? Working deals left and right, compromising, being unethical, disloyal, doing whatever it takes to gain a buck. Don't compromise to gain power. And fourthly, we see Joab defending his position. He did it under a guise that was acceptable in the minds of a lot of people, but it was wrong. Don't fight to keep it. Why do I say don't, 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 don't? Why is this such a negative message? Why are all these things prohibitions? They're prohibitions because when David did what he did and Ishbosheth did what he did and Abner did what he did and Joab did what he, what he did, the rest of this passage explains to us what losing strategies these were. Verses 28 through 39. The text reads, you can read it on your own, we don't have time, but if you were to look through this, you'll see that every power play lost. Ishbosheth by virtue of the absence of the discussion here, and we'll pick it up next week, we realize that his days are numbered. No need to be worrying about the rain. It's going to rain, and I hope you have an umbrella, but there's nothing you can do. Why be paranoid? He's set up for failure. We see uh, Abner, what, laying in a coffin. There's a funeral for him taking place here. His power move didn't work. We see Joab, who I would think, well, this guy must have turned out okay. No, the text says in verse 29, everyone recognized the wrong of his act. That David stands up and says, may the blood of, of, of his, of, may, the, may his blood, that is Abner's blood, fall upon the head of Joab and upon all his father's house. May Joab's house never be without someone who has a running sore, leprosy, who leans on a crutch, who falls by the sword or lacks food. That's a wonderful statement to get from the king, right? You're being cursed. God's disfavor is upon you now. So he lost. Ishbosheth's about to lose. Abner's dead. Joab's a loser. Now he's got a curse on his whole family. What about David? Well, the question that ought to come to your mind is why would David curse him and not punish him? If this was such a wrong thing that Joab did, why isn't he putting him in jail? Why isn't he executing him? David doesn't seem to have problems with other people. Look at the last verse, verse 39. Here's David speaking. Today, he says, though I'm the anointed king, underline this, I am weak. What do you mean? All those wives, all those sons, all those heirs, all that political maneuvering. What do you mean you're, you're weak? He is weak because his power moves didn't result in any power in this situation. He said, these sons of Zeriah, that's in this case, Joab, he's referring to, too strong for me. I can't, I can't manage them. I can't handle them. May the Lord repay the evildoer according to his evil deeds. That's a cop-out. That's a compromise. That's a wimpy move. I know that because later in the book of 2 Samuel, on his deathbed, David ends up telling his son Solomon, you know, Joab did a really bad thing. Would you kill him for me? <laughs> That's what I should have done. So what happens? No one's better for any of the power moves. They're all losers. David, Ishbosheth, Abner, Joab, all that maneuvering and God's disapproval on all of them doesn't work. doesn't work. What's the upshot? Relax. Relax. God establishes. God moves people up. He exalts people. He puts people down. He's in charge. Relax. may sound too simplistic for you, but the intoxicating lure of influence will kill us. There was a young man named Joseph who was doing very well in Bible school. He did so well in Bible school, he was given a full-ride scholarship to go to seminary. While in seminary, everyone was impressed with his work. He worked very hard and was very accomplished. Actually, while he was in seminary and everyone was impressed with his theology, 
something slowly was happening to his heart. Under the intoxication and the lure for influence and power, he continued to be internally corrupted. Eventually, it surfaced. People started to see it. He was drawn more and more to the speakers who would talk about influence and power and authority. He couldn't leave the topic. He wanted to be noticed. He wanted to be important. He wanted to make a name for himself. So in time, the seminary saw this and saw so much of it, they kicked him out of the seminary. About the time they kicked him out of the seminary, his new friends had coined a name for him. They called him the Man of Steel because he was the most tenacious, self-promoting person they'd ever met. In time, Joseph succeeded in doing what he wanted. He actually did make a name for himself. He was so successful at making a name for himself that his name appears in every modern history book you have on your shelf. His name appears in every encyclopedia you have. If you read that encyclopedia this afternoon, you should read about his upbringing in a church every Sunday, sitting there just like you are today, going to church in Georgia and not the Georgia in the Bible Belt, getting a scholarship to a seminary, the theological seminary in Russia, getting acquainted with Lenin, and Lenin actually saying in his memoirs that Joseph was one of the most hard-headed, tenacious, aggressive, and rude people he'd ever met. He ended up taking Lenin's place. And those encyclopedias should read that Joseph Stalin was the bloodiest, most paranoid, cruelest, most abusive dictator and despot the modern world has ever seen. But it all started in church. Satan was out to sow the seeds of power and influence of a guy studying for the ministry. You think we're immune? We're not immune. It might be that in our quest to follow the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, perhaps we're even more susceptible to it. The Bible says we've got an enemy and he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And you may think your pictures of a devoured person is something completely different than Satan's plan. Because his plan sometimes is to promote those people, to make them powerful and strong and influential. Be careful. Don't become intoxicated with power. Avoid the power plays. Relax, and God will do the rest. You're listening to a message from Pastor Mike Fabares, a message titled, Some Losing Strategies for People of Influence. And this is Focal Point. Now, if you'd like the study notes, or if you'd like to listen again, go to focalpointradio.org. Well, it may take some time for God to place us in a position of influence, but His perfect timing is worth waiting for. And at Focal Point, we're excited to see you become more like Christ each day as you listen and apply God's truth in your life. That's the reason we're here. If you're ready to help bring this program to others who desperately need to hear God's truth, we invite you to become part of our team of Focal Point supporters with your prayers and donations. Now, you can help keep Focal Point on the air, reaching thousands of people with the light and truth of Christ, and enjoy tax savings, too, simply by giving before this year ends. One of the easiest ways to give is through your appreciated property or stocks. 
Did you know by donating the amount you increased this year before December 31st, you might avoid capital gains taxes? Learn more and download the simple stock transfer form when you visit focalpointradio.org slash stockgiving. Your year-end generosity will change lives and shine light into the darkness of this world. And when you donate today, we'll send you a copy of Kevin Zuber's book, The Essential Scriptures, as our way of saying thank you. We're so grateful for your support. You don't have to be a seminary student to study theology, and this book offers a simple and straightforward explanation of key doctrines straight from Scripture. You'll appreciate having this resource by your side as you seek to go deeper in God's Word. To make a donation, call 888-320-5885. You can also give online at focalpointradio.org. If you prefer sending your donation by mail, write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. Well, I'm Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again Wednesday as Pastor Mike introduces a message called Dealing with Sin in Your Own Domain. That's coming up Wednesday, right here on Focal Point. Hi, Pastor Mike here. God's Word promises it'll never return void. So I wonder, how is God's Word moving in your heart right now? Drop us a line. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to be praying for you here. Just go to focalpointradio.org and then be sure to join us again tomorrow right here as we continue to explore the depths of Scripture. We'll see you then. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.